no chance. What's up, everybody? Episode 69 of No Chance Podcast. As always, your host, Ryan. And Nate. So if it's your first time viewing or listening to a lot of those that are listening, it's probably your 69th time, right? It's our 69th episode. We talk about a lot of streetwear stuff, a lot of streetwear, a lot of culture, and kind of how it relates to our daily, daily lives, lives. Yeah, essentially, exactly. right? Exactly. right? Um, but in the beginning of every episode, we like to shoot the shit. We have random topics, streetwear topics, culture topics, whatever, and we kind of provide our little two cents on like what we feel about them. It's mostly hate, I'm not going to lie. Most of the time, the it majority is. of it. Yeah, <laughs> the majority sure. of we it. Should, we should come up with hate. a name for that segment, like at the beginning of each episode. We should. We should. We should. Yeah. What, whatever you guys think it should be called, yeah. let us know. Yeah. Leave a comment. But we'll get into the first topic, and it's the end of the year. It's December 27th. It's the 27th. Almost the new year, yeah. almost 2019. And what a lot of these publications, your favorite blog sites, sneaker sites do, is they like to do an end of the year recap and they say, what were the top shoes of the year? Uh, 2018, there was a lot of good releases. I'm not going to lie. It's probably like one of the most heavy, heavily like hyped up release year I I've seen in a long time. I think definitely one of the best years in terms of releases, at least in a while. I think at least in the past like yes. two or three there years. There was so think. much yeah. hype around all the different releases. And we'll get into the top three in a second. But overall, how do you feel about like 2018 as like a sneaker release year? I think it was a good year for sure. Just like I said, um, I think they're. I think Nike definitely dominated this oh, year. Oh, I think course. Adidas was kind of left in the dust. No, they, um, yeah, I would, I would say they that. had some good. They definitely had some good releases, but I think Nike definitely took the cake when it in terms of like who won this year. Yes, um, yes. And as a lot of like your blog sites like Hype Beast Complex, High Snobiety, um, will state that. You know, like a lot of their top five is like all Nike shoes. So that's true. That's true. Hats would, off to them. Yes, yes. I, I'd say like my personal opinion as well. I would agree completely with you. Adidas really just fell off. Uh, yeah, in, they're in really quiet like, this year. The, obviously, like the Yeezy conversation of quantity increasing, accessibility increasing, which is what their sort of mission was from the very get go, kind of deterred it and turned it into that little downslope. Nike collaborated with literally every influencer you could imagine. Yeah. And that's really why they take the cake. But let's get into the top three. Um, number three, and we're going to go with Complex list because Complex obviously kind of runs a little bit of everything in regards to culture. I mean, it's it's a pretty important publication. I'm not going to lie. We'll be on there soon, someday. Right? <laughs> yeah. Number three, Complex basically states that um, the Union Air Jordan won. Okay. Do you Fair. do you agree with that one? Um, my favorite Air Jordan one release of the year of the for year, sure, okay. hands down. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I I think it's fair. I think it's a good shoe. Am I? Do I think it deserves number three release of the year? I don't necessarily think so. At top five at least. Top five for sure. Okay. Um, I'll take that. You know, I had a conversation about this with my girlfriend, and we were talking about, and I was basically telling her I don't really know if I actually like the shoe. I just see so many other people wearing it, and it makes me want it. Like I feel like I'm missing out by not. I think having that's the it, whole know? point. I think yeah. that's the whole point. But at this, I, 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 like I said earlier, we talked about this a little bit. I enjoy the storytelling aspect. Like I, I enjoy 
the whole Rose Bowl thing that they did, setting up a that was that was amazing. And having like marketing. Sean Witherspoon, yeah, that was amazing. That was an amazing marketing ploy. Like yeah. hats off. It was that. almost believable. If yeah. you watch it and you see the reaction of that of like Sean Witherspoon and my Emily Oberg. I, I <laughs> believed it. I believed it for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, I forget who it was that was like manning the booth, but I think he's like the owner of Union. I believe his name. No, is, it no? wasn't. No, I don't think no? it was Chris Gibbs. It was um, it was somebody who worked there. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I I would I would say definitely top three shoes of the year. Do you agree with that though? Like, if you could replace it with like another, I want let's just keep it in the family. Air Jordan One. What would you put? But okay, but first, like, check it. So nobody. Like I said before, nobody cared about Storm Blue Ones before Jordan did a collab with Union. You know, like those, that, uh, like yeah, those were shitting. So, yeah. shitting. Yeah, those were sitting on. Those outlet, were shitty. Those were yeah, yeah. They were sitting on outlet shelves for like the longest time, but all of a sudden, like Union slaps those Storm Blues on to what was that? Like, uh, what was the upper? What was like the heel part? Um, no, I think the whole thing was a, a Storm Blue. Nah, it, it, it was, was like just the, red, the, yeah. the flaps that were different yeah, colors, yeah, 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 right? but. You know, like nobody cared about those before, um, and then the same with like the black toes. Like that's such a slept on Jordan one, I think. Yeah, black toe. Th- th- I I think that's what the whole point was, right? Yeah. Like black toes when they first released, uh, they released this year, right? Either this year or last like year, like late last year. Yeah, but yeah. both of those shoes super slept on, really low resale prices, and then to throw their own little mix in with like the the, the stitching, like the the very obvious yellow stitching was yeah. like. Like amazing. Like obviously, it doesn't really change. I mean, you get it in a different box, but for the most part, like it's not too different from what the original shoe is. I just think that the whole like, like the legacy brand of Union and the premium aspect that Union brings with the name, it's like it makes it more of like a sought out shoe, sought out after shoe. I agree. Like it's definitely a more sought out shoe because Union, like that name, holds so much weight. It's such a staple in like the streetwear community. But I think. As far as like Jordan ones in terms of the top releases, there were so many good ones this year. Like for instance, like the not for resale. You like Jordan those? Ones. I don't like those, but like I like I like what the it, execution, the idea. Yeah, uh, agreed. But here's the thing: I like what it did for the like the sneaker community and the streetwear community. Okay, because like it really like you saw the videos of retailers fucking making people do push-ups or making people like do yeah yeah before they walk out (laughs) yeah i enjoy that because it's more about bringing back like that idea of you know like wear your shit instead of getting like copping this to like resell and i mean like to be fair like there's nothing wrong with like reselling like i'm sure we've all done it before but i'll still do it yeah we all still do it exactly (laughs) like it's an easy way to make some extra money but i think it kind of it was a good, it's a great reminder as to like why we started enjoying sneakers in the first place yeah. because we wanted to get them to wear them. I you think know? That, that was like a, a a huge indicator that Nike still had like an ear to the streets. Yeah, for right. Sure. It was like I know what you guys are doing with our shoes. It's very very obvious. We probably use you guys as like research studies to understand like how to release shoes. So it was like a cool ploy to be like, all right, let's see what you guys do with this one. Yeah. Definitely my top three, maybe not your top three, top five-ish. I'll deal with that. Sure, That's man. fine. That's All right. Fine. Number two is an obvious one. I'm really surprised it wasn't number one. Yeah. Sean Weatherspoon Air Max 97 slash Air Max 1 collaboration. Yeah. That was, I feel like, the shoe of the year. I feel like it was. Partly because... 
first of all, it wasn't a shoe. Yeah. Right. It started this whole like Air Max mixing of styles thing, like legitimately like like hybrid hybrid. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Good word. Hybrid Air Maxes. It introduced corduroy material. Obviously, it was it, it was like a material prior to, but it made its whole little like fad very early on once it, uh, the shoe came out. And it was just, it was a shoe made by somebody in the community, like truly a part of the community. Uh, for those who don't know who Sean Weatherspoon is, he's the guy who started round two. He does all like the, the shops all pretty much all over the country. Yeah. But he was like one of the first guys to like, what what was the, um, what was it called? Was it vote, vote the, your air back? Um future it's, i have it, no idea but it was basically it was a, a campaign. Contest. yeah it was yeah. a campaign for air max day uh, march 26 for those of you who don't know <laughs> um but it was basically a campaign for air max day you know you had several different um you know influential people in the streetwear community yes. kind of design their own ver- iteration of an air max shoe and you know like you have the opportunity to vote for it so yeah, and that was one of the ones that won, and literally the the corduroy and the distressing, and seeing all of the your like favorite celebrities backed by backing this shoe, like it really made it like the shoe of the year. I feel like it was around like it. There was so much hype about it for at least like a good five six months. I think it was less about like the celebrity backing and more about again like the storytelling. You know that yeah like. If you ever watch or if you ever listen to like Sean Witherspoon explain like the design process behind the shoe, he's like behind every step, like the materials, the colors, like he's sourcing or he's referencing like vintage Nike, um, like ads, like vintage Nike apparel, shoes, things like that. And I think it's the fact that he is such like a huge part of not only the sneaker community, but the streetwear community that it's like, it makes sense why like why that shoe would win because like this person is one of us like this is a person (laughs) who appreciates the same shit that we appreciate yeah and it only makes sense like it's not like one of those collaborations like you know how babe does like collaboration with everybody super forced yeah exactly it's not like that it just seems it seems natural it just they go hand in hand yeah and you make a good point like it's somebody that comes from our community or our culture right so the attention to detail is like microscopic levels like exactly from the aglets to the fucking like distressing of the material and i feel like it it couldn't have been anybody else right like it could have been somebody famous they could have just did colors and all that other shit put their logo on it but it's different when it's somebody who actually appreciates the product yeah it should have been shoe of the year, but it unfortunately wasn't. But based on Complex's list, the shoe of the year actually happens to be the Nike React. Is it Element 88? Or Element 87. Eight? Element 87. Yeah. For those who don't know what that looks like, here's a picture of it. Picture pops up. <laughs> this has been a shoe that is takes that takes on a lot of inspiration from, I want to say, like this whole... like. Not chunky sneaker, but like minimal, very lightweight, almost like off-white reminiscent. Yeah. Uh, Very translucent materials, random paneling. Um, They did a collaboration with Undercover recently. I think that was maybe like the the second rendition of like the shoes that came out. To be honest, I did not see this coming at all. This was not one of the shoes that I considered to be like shoe of the year. 
I don't know. How do you feel about it? I actually like this pick as shoe of the year. I think it was definitely, it definitely brought shoes back to, you know, that realm of innovation as opposed to just hopping on a trend. Yeah. Like a lot of people see the element React 87 as just, oh, another byproduct of this dad shoe, chunky shoe trend. You know what I'm saying? That's what I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it, Nike doing this really puts technology and innovation in terms of like sportswear, like at the forefront, you know, like you have the React cushioning, which is like a brand new cushioning system for Nike and you have like top of the line. Yeah, exactly. And then you have, of course, like the translucent panels, which are, you know, you don't really see very often. Um, And I think in that regard, it puts that shoe ahead, I think, of the other releases that we've seen. I think it really dictates that of like, yeah, like you said, innovation, how shoes are going to look like in the future. Yeah. I guess it, 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 it does that very well, obviously, because it is an entirely new silhouette, uh, an entirely new look, etc. I just, I just don't know if I'm like shoe of the year nominee, you know yeah. what I mean? Maybe not even top five for me personally. Really? Yeah. Not okay. even top five. Okay. Fair enough. Sean Weatherspoon's for sure should have yeah. t- should have took the cake. Okay, um, you guys let us know what you guys think. Obviously, those are complexes. That's a majority of some of the publications' top three. But you guys let us know what you guys think. It's probably going to be roughly the same. But you guys let us know. The next topic we're going to get we're going to get into is obviously about Virgil. We can't seem to stay away from that of Virgil. Virgil Abloh announces that he is ending his collab. Not. I wouldn't say partnership with Nike, but he's ending the series called The Ten. Um, you guys may know it as like what what shoes the the Presto Blazers. You only name the shoe that you have. Jordan ones. <laughs> Jordan ones. Air Max ninety seven. Air Force ones. Air Force ones. Even Chuck yeah. Taylors. Um, probably one of the biggest in, and even ongoing collections that is that's still going on. He has about thirty styles that have come out in like totality, like crazy shit but that whole thing is coming to an end how do you feel about that because obviously it was a very very like cutting edge would you call it collaboration yeah i guess it's a collaboration i think it's a smart choice to end that collaboration i agree because i think a lot of it a lot of the excitement was based on the novelty of virgil abloh like collaborating with nike you know like that was something that kind of came out of nowhere. And I think that's why people enjoyed it. And of course, like the desi- the designs were great too. Oh, of course. Um, but I think you can only go so far recreating like different iterations of, you know, a blazer of an Air Max 90 of this, of that. Yeah. And to be fair, like, you know, all the colorways, excuse me, all the colorways <laughs> that he's come out with are, they're great. Yeah, you know? they have been. Um, he's been, He's done great work with Nike, but I think like, with the natural progression of a collaboration, I think there's a certain point where you kind of say, okay, what's, what's the next step? Like yeah. what's yeah, like, you know, like with anything, like something, it has to come to an end eventually. So I think then the question again, again is like, what is the next step? It's true. You have to grow out of a, a collaboration yeah. and this is probably one of the most uh, and it's not like a seasonal thing. This has been like the longest standing collaboration that I've seen in present day, yeah. right? Like it's been going on for over a year and a half, maybe a year and some change. 30 silhouettes, some of the best shoes to release thus far, sellouts all over the world, right? Yeah. Like he's he's done it. 
Yeah. So, and being who he is, obviously being a creative, it's like, like you said, what is next? What can I do differently? Um, you don't want ever want to be pinholed. I'm assuming as Virgil, you don't want to be pinholed as being that guy of like, these are the silhouettes I'm sticking to. This is the look I'm going for. Shit. You never know. His next collaboration could be like an air force one with like half of the soul cut off or something. You, you, you yeah. know, like it could be, it could be anything, but the look of like Virgil right now, when it comes to Nike, everybody knows what that is. Zip tie, offset swoosh, yeah, some sort of like distressed tongue, like you know, it's like it's very predictable. At and this and point. that's what I'm saying. I think that like for such a great collaboration, I think at one point it has to end because you're losing that. You're what losing, people were excited yeah, exactly. for, exactly. Like it's beginning. not as special anymore if you keep on doing it. If you keep continuing it, it doesn't hold that same value anymore. You know. Yeah, I agree with that. It's very unfortunate, obviously, because we haven't seen anything this. I, the word's not lucrative. Obviously, it's lucrative if you're reselling it. But I haven't seen anything this genuine in regards to like Nike collaborations. Um, and this goes back to like the whole 2018 just being amazing in yeah. regards to shoes, right? They they were doing collaborations with all your favorite influencers, Alayli May, Nigel Sylvester. Um, there's probably a shit ton more. I'm not gonna say DJ Khaled. That does not count. But there's a lot. I'm I'm guessing there's a lot more that really had these like true to self collaborations that were yeah. like really important to that showed a lot of people that we look up to within our culture. So. Shout out to Nike. Adidas, you know, like yeah, fuck. Nike kills yeah. this year. I'm not gonna lie, had yeah. a had a phenomenal year. That's pretty amazing. So. It's very unfortunate that Virgil. I mean, they're obviously not gonna stop the like their collaborative efforts. He's in a lot of great shit, but um, the ten is now gone. We'll see what he comes up with next, yeah. right? Okay. Uh, topic number three, one of our favorite dudes, I hope he watches this and I know you're following us, Benny Gold, that of, um, let, let's, Benny let, let Gold. me break it down, <laughs> ben, yeah, Benny Gold, let me break it down, he has his own um, streetwear line that's been around for maybe like 10 plus years, um, he was the f like creative director and designer for Huff when it first started, um, he's designed the logos for Hype. Hi, Snobiety. I'll tell a funny story about that one. Um, he designed the logo for MASH. He designed the logo for countless other streetwear companies that were coming out in like the early 2000s, yeah. right? So basically, and unfortunately, we're going to have to shout out a competitor, but Hypebeast Radio, one of our favorite guys, Jeff Staple, does a segment podcast, really great, um, where he interviews that of other would you call them creators? He, uh, yeah, I mean, he kind of labels it as like a platform for other creators, entrepreneurs, yeah. you know, um, tastemakers, I guess, you if you will. And they um, break down like um, basically how their affinity for streetwear, where their brand comes from, what it takes to get to where they are today. Um, a whole rundown of their entire life, damn near. And so this most recent interview with Benny Gold, by far, and if you if you've listened to him, you would know. By far, one of my favorite interviews ever, hands down, hands down, one of the best. So good, yeah. I think more so, and, and let me just provide some context. So Benny Gold basically starts out as a graphic designer, goes to college for graphic design, graduates, moves out to San Francisco with the goal of becoming a professional skateboarder. Yeah, um, comes across Keith Huffnagel of Huff. Huff basically asks him, hey. 
you know how to draw logos, draw me a logo, and the rest is history. He draws the, the Huff logo, is a creative designer for Huff, does all that shit. He was actually, and this is a funny note from the actual episode, was the creative director for the entire Mervyn's Corporation. Yeah, which, which I did is not so know. crazy, crazy yeah. right? Mervyn's is a subsidiary, like, retail store under that of Target. Um, if you guys don't know, like, if you guys don't know what Mervyn's huge, is. Huge, like, fucking Just huge. think of, like, if you guys if you guys are old enough to know what Sears is still, it's kind of like That's, that. Yeah, basically. It's like a Sears and JCPenney had, a, like, a baby. On that same level yeah. of, like, world, like, not worldwide, but, like, countrywide type level of shit. Yeah. And um, he was design. I didn't know he was like designing shirts for Stussy, designing shirts for Nike. Like yeah. it makes me want to go back and like try to find those those designs and be like, damn, Benny Gold designed this shit. Um, but essentially he basically talks about his upbringing, how he gets into graphic design and all this shit and all the work he does. And I'm not going to recite the whole episode, but it was very reminiscent of our come up. There are definitely some parallels. I was listening a lot to of it parallels. And I was like, wow, that sounds a lot like what we had to do or what we have to do. Very you know? on yeah. point with that of our sort of come up, that of like, you know, trying to figure out and maneuver in this industry and 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 networking and not knowing anybody and just starting some shit. Exactly. And not knowing where it's gonna take you. Exactly, yeah. right? Like that first design for for Huff could have you know, could have gone anywhere, but yeah. that it could turned, not have made it. Exactly. He, yeah. he could have been like, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't really fuck with this design. Yeah. And could have gone on. And then his else. whole career trajectory could have been completely different. Insane, yeah. man. Insane. But in the, in the episode, he definitely touches on a lot of stuff that's very relevant to the shit that we talk about on a weekly basis. And, and one of the biggest things he talks about is this idea of just doing something right. Like we say every episode, um, you know, like if, if you have a creative endeavor or whatever, you just you got to just do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like it has nothing like all the overthinking of of do I have a, a trademark or do I have like money or for, you know what I mean? Like you don't need all the best equipment. You don't need all, you know, all the whatever. Just find a way to do it. We all have smartphones, et cetera. But I think that that was a really good point that he made within the episode. Yeah, it was a really great, insightful episode. I think it's definitely one of the better episodes to listen to if you're, you know, someone who's a creative or someone who's even like, maybe you're just even like an entrepreneur, you know, yeah, definitely. Um, there's definitely some great insights in that episode. And I think, like you said, it really resonated with me while I was listening to it because uh, there are definitely a lot of parallels with like what we're doing, what we did, what we're going to do. And, you know, like Benny Gold's story and how he kind of came up. And yeah. of course, like it was a different era, completely different from what we're doing, but it's sort of still that same mindset of shit. Like I don't really want to be working at nine to five the rest of my life. I'd yeah, rather be doing good, my own shit. That's a know? great point. Yeah. And one of the concepts that he explains in his episode, or actually Jeff mentions this in his episode is this idea of velvet handcuffs. Yes. Right. So velvet handcuffs. And for a lot of you that are listening, you're probably in this same situation. I know that we are for because sure. We go Hands through down. it on a day to day basis. Velvet handcuffs basically entails that, we love the nine to five only if it's that of something that gives us money. Yeah. Right. If you're working a nine to five that doesn't pay you shit, then obviously these are just like gonna hate metal it. handcuffs, yeah. right? Yeah. You're just tied to this shit. But velvet handcuffs basically state that you have a creative project or something, but what fuels that creative project is your nine to five. Yeah. Your nine to five is basically 
your your source of income for anything that you do creatively outside of yeah. it, right? And that alone keeps you at that job, right? Like you don't you you don't you don't necessarily hate it because all the money that you earn from this nine to five that you because you're comfortable because you're comfortable, yeah. right? Like it's it, you're in a you're in that state of comfortability, and you don't know when or when not to leave, and you, and you, it, you're, you just don't know. And yeah, that's the idea of that that velvet handcuff thing. It's just like I can quit my job and 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 sort of just go out into the world and figure things out, right? But yeah. How are you gonna feed yourself? How are you gonna source all the equipment that you have, everything that you need, right? So it's like, fuck, like, I don't think I trust myself enough to be able to do that stuff. But if you have a nine to five and you, shit, you may hate it or you may may love it, whatever, and you use that money towards your creative endeavor, but it's still your creative endeavor is still not your like the only thing, you know what that I you're mean? Doing. Which makes it really hard. And I love how you explain that concept. It was it was so good because it was like like I feel like I was listening to myself or like watching or like listening to the episode that he was interviewing us or something like yeah. that. It was like very on point with like how we felt on like a I don't want to say day to day basis, <laughs> damn near day to day basis, yeah. right? Oh man! But if you guys have the any time, have a chance, whatever, please go listen to this episode. I don't, I, I don't care about any of the other Hypebeast radio episodes, but please listen. If to you're going to listen to one episode and one podcast episode outside of ours, outside of, outside ours, of ours, I think that is definitely one that you should listen to for sure. Definitely, hands down. Definitely. So really okay. good. Now let's get into the bulk of today's episode, which is a very, very dense one. And it's not always that this happens within the streetwear industry, but for the first time ever, I would say first time, um, highest in abiety, um, I would say number two, ranked number two in regards to like streetwear, street cultural publications. Number two puts out a white paper based on this idea of the new luxury. Yes. Right? So a white paper, for those who don't know, is a very like scientific is that a word? Scientific yeah. businessy <laughs> term. It's basically like a kind of like a long form persuasive essay that provides like insight into this new issue and basically gives the reader the option of either finding a solution. It either exposes them to the problem or basically, I don't know. It, it basically does one of two things. It provides you an issue and it gives you sort of two reactions. I either, just accept the issue or I come up with a solution to the issue. Yeah. And so this idea that Heist and Abide is proposing through this white paper is that there's this new sort of new mindset for that in millennials called the new luxury. Yeah. And we talked about this previously in an episode where we sort of, um, what was, what was the episode about where we sort of did the, um, we covered this idea of, of, of like the new mindset within streetwear. It was like a, what was That's it? That's like every episode. No, but it was like a very particular Was it one. streetwear economics? That was it. Yeah. That was it. So we were talking about like where streetwear is, is being taken and sort of the ramifications of how streetwear affects our own personal selves, our psyches, our, 
our pockets, yeah. uh, a little bit of everything, right? So Highest and Abide comes up with this new concept called the new luxury that talks about how basically it's no longer about the cost of the item that we care about anymore. It's about what do we know about this item? What does everybody else not know about this item? This is what luxury is to us now, right? It doesn't mean like, and the way that they kind of break it down is that it doesn't mean that Luxury doesn't mean that an item is $3,000 as opposed to like a $300 item. Yes, it's exactly. Luxury now, according to like, or sorry, did I say, did I say high beast? High snobiety. High snobiety. Um, according to them, it means that something that has more value over this other thing, you know what I'm saying? Whether yes. it's actually like actual monetary value or, you know, some sort of like intrinsic, extrinsic value. Like yes. Talking about, so. Now, this thing is very, very dense. It's 27 pages long. And the creator of High Body, for those who don't know, his name is David Fisher. And he basically says that this white paper is used to sort of inform the culture, the High Body readers of this new concept, this new understanding of the streetwear industry and how it affects us in that of new people who want to jump in, right? Because we've seen it, Supreme and Louis Vuitton, um, a lot of these outside industries buying that of, uh, what is that place that they do sneaker shopping at? Uh, stadium goods. Stadium goods, yeah. investing in Supreme. There's a lot of money in this shit now, right? Everybody wants a piece of streetwear because streetwear is now, as he describes it, the new luxury. So, what we're going to do is we're going to provide a little bit of context. And like I said, this shit is very fucking dense. So I'm going to need some notes, <laughs> right? Yeah. So let's, let me get it. All right. You know, we had an intern to do this, but they fell asleep. So it's fine. <laughs> All right. Let's get into this. Okay. So basically the understanding is that this new luxury is based around this idea of affirmational commodities. So our self-esteem, how we feel about ourselves is generated from things that we own, yes. right? But before luxury was related to price, right? So if I had a more expensive watch, I'd feel like I was, I felt I would, I was cooler than that of a person who had a cheaper watch. Exactly. Right. So that was the understanding previously, but now this idea of new luxury is based around knowledge, knowledge and, and access. Right. So for example, let's talk, what's a good example of that? I, I, let's just say Supreme. Sure. Right. Box logos are obviously a, a, a huge topic when it comes to you know, what people have and don't have because only a small percentage of people ever actually get to own one. Yeah. So we talk about knowledge and access as related to a box logo. It takes information to figure out how to get that shit. It yeah. sells that in like, what, six seconds, five seconds? Like, it's not an easy item to buy. Yeah, and then, you know, then again, that's what we're talking about, you know, cash and price, like the price of the item versus access to the item yes um and sort of the perception of luxury has shifted from how much an item is worth because how much is a box logo t-shirt uh, oh like 60 dollars at most like after tax and shipping yeah right? yeah and that's not a lot $60. i mean to some people to be fair to some people that might be a lot but to the average streetwear consumer that's not a lot of money that's not you know that's um not. 
but its value is really found in who has access to that t-shirt yes. who has it who doesn't yes you know? and yeah. that access na- nowadays takes into like a lot of different shapes like uh an example would be like who has a bot yeah. right who's selling like uh deep links to the actual box logo prior to it being released right like if you have these things you have an added an added benefit or you're even a step ahead that of the person next to you because all they're doing is clicking on shop and going to view all and hopefully just having enough time to actually click on it and buy it right who has an autofill right who has their credit card information like laser engraved on their computer screen so when they click on the item and they click add to cart it checks out in a second right yeah when you have access to that information you have that knowledge it makes these items worth more exactly because it takes more work (laughs) yeah and i think that's the whole thing again going back to price is that before a lot of people couldn't afford to have access to x y and z but now with their you know like goods being plentiful whether it's like streetwear whether it's like this and that which usually the price points aren't super high it's more more so again about who has access to it, who can get their hands on it. Yeah. Another uh, good example. And like, like to your point, that's, that's, it, it makes a lot of sense. Like look at the top three shoes that released this year, right? Nike reacts release at retail price of like, I think 160, 160, right? Yeah. Yeezys or off white air force ones release at maybe like two something. No. Or, okay. Let's, let's use Yeezys. As an example. Yeah. Yeezys release at maybe like 220. Yeah. Right. The price difference is there. You think about 350s that are like super widespread. You pay almost 260 after taxes for them. You pay one something for the reacts. And then you th- and you look at it and you and you're like, okay, like obviously I spent this person spent way more money on the Yeezys. They must be cooler, right? The yeah. person that's that's wearing them, they, they must know their shit. But if you really know streetwear culture and you see like when the shoes come out you would know that those reacts are worth more like internally i don't know how to describe it it's like it's worth more on the street yeah because i think you know going back to the roots of streetwear i don't think that streetwear is ever about price or what you can buy this or sell this at that's a good point i think it was more so about what again it's more so about access and it's more so about other things like not necessarily because luxury again it's one of those things where there's a barrier to entry, the price, yes. obviously. Um, because like if you only make like six dollars an hour, obviously you're not gonna buy like a thousand dollar leather jacket, whatever, you know? Yeah. Whatever it is. But I think with streetwear, it's it's more so about again, like we talk about the supreme model mm-hmm. who has access to this, who has access to that. You not know, a lot of people not a lot at of the people, end of the day, exactly. right? Okay, so now that we understand this idea of like this new luxury mindset where it's no longer about what it costs or just simply having it. It's about being knowledgeable, being in the culture. That's what people want. That people want to be a part of, I don't even know if I can call it like a movement. They just want to be a part of the wave, whatever, yeah. right? So they want to be that person. They want to be that person, yeah. right? We we don't idolize that of the person that has the fancy shit. We want to we want to be the person that knows the person that knows the person that that can get you the fancy shit, right? Yeah. It's a really weird dichotomy, but we're trying to understand it. So why so let's get into this then. 
why isn't that just having exclusive products, right? Rare products. Why isn't that enough nowadays? It's it's okay if it's not if it's expensive and it's okay if it's rare, but sometimes it's just not enough to make it for what it is. One because I think rare products aren't rare anymore that's, because that's true. Every every week there's something rare coming out. <laughs> so if you can't get this thing that's rare, you can get the next thing that's that, rare, yeah. or you can get this or that. Yeah. You know, I think there's just a plethora of options for everybody to kind of go through. And if you can't get one, or if you like you know, out of a hundred releases, like you're bound to get at least one. Everything's you know? limited to like a number yeah. or like limited to certain shops. Everybody has collaborations like to, to our point. Yeah. So it, it is a good point. Like rarity is common. It's almost, it's almost, <laughs> it's almost non-existent right? these days. Yeah. yeah. Like there's no such thing as like something that's rare because you can get it anywhere now. Right. Yeah. It's not just one store in your city that you, you can go to to get this product. You have Sneaker News releases a, a drop list of 20 different links that you could enter raffles to and your yeah. chances even go up, bots, all that shit. So it, like to your point, it really, does, it really does change the landscape of how we see rare things as a commodity because no longer are things actually rare. They're, they're, they're more widespread. Exactly. Shit, man, things are changing. Sure. <laughs> so which, which brands are doing it? Um, which, which brands do we see that are taking on this, like, um, this like new luxury mindset? Uh, I mean, nowadays? obviously you have streetwear brands like Supreme that are doing it. You have sportswear brands like Nike that are doing yeah. it, you know, just like basically everybody in the game. I yeah. think if you're not doing it, then there's something wrong. Yeah. You're yeah. kind of falling behind. That's a good point. Yeah. Okay. So what we're going to do, and because this thing is so fucking dense, we're not going to break down everything that um, this white paper breaks down. But one thing that I thought would be really fun is there's a lot of stats in this uh, this white paper. Yeah. And what Heist and Abide did is they hired a research company to interview people that you know, are subscribers or readers to High Snobiety. They put them in this pool and asked them a bunch of questions and generated this sort of consensus that bases the whole idea of new luxury around these people, yeah. right? High Snobiety readers predominantly. So let's go through some of these stats and see if me and you sort of are on par with what they say. Sure. Obviously, we read Highest Nobody, but, you know, we might be one-offs. We might be different. Who knows? Okay. 85% of people believe that what their clothes represent is just as important as their quality or design. That's a pretty high number. Um, I believe that. I, I believe it, too. I think that definitely the majority of us think that what you put on your body is a visual representation of who you are, the things that you resonate with. And I think like that, that statistic 85%, like that, that seems fair. It's, I it's, think it's fair. Yeah. I wear Carhartt because I want people to know I'm a hard worker. Like that's, that's why I wear it. It's like, this is rugged. This is, you don't know about this. This is, you can only get the, well, I mean, you can get it anywhere at this point, yeah. but it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, Haha, ha, dumbass, you got a medium, you got true to size and Carhartt, you know that shit fits big, you didn't know yeah. that. Like, that's the sort of like representation I take from it. It's, it's less about like, oh, I love how this fits or I love the logo. It's more so like, 
I like the backstory. Of yeah, it. I love exactly. that, that part. Like of we it. talked about earlier while we were shooting this shit, it's it's about storytelling. I yeah, think. Um, and I think that's a huge part of it. You know, to the, like to that point, that transition of like storytelling and like brands running these like experiences. Yeah, that's gonna be 2019. Yeah, like every brand is gonna have a backstory to a shoe to a, a collaboration a clothing line whatever and they're going to have some sort of crazy experience based around yeah, it. Yeah, and I think that circles back to what we just talked about um in terms of like price versus access. Like a lot of these yeah. things a lot of these experiences you don't have to pay for, but it's more so I'm here and you're not. Yeah. Whether or not it's free. No, that's the biggest piece. You know what I'm saying? Like that's I'm the here and you're not. Piece. It doesn't matter if it's free. Like this is how it is. Like you're not here right now. You're at home, and I'm living. I'm living this life. Okay, hold that thought because we're gonna get we're gonna get into that in a second. High Snobody covers a section of why people attend these these experiences slash festivals, and that is a great start. The next stat we're gonna read off is only six percent of High Snobody readers state that they purchase products as a direct expression of wealth. I find that pretty low to be That's honest. That's so low. It should be switched with the other. It should be like 85%. I don't, I think that a lot of people don't, or a lot of people don't want to admit that they tend to purchase things just as an expression of, I got it, you don't, you know what I'm saying? In terms of like, I got it, like I have the means to purchase yeah. this. That's a huge to, part of why I purchase clothes, right? If really? I have some, if I have something expensive, I low key want somebody to ask like, yo, that is really cool how much was that? Or yeah. like, where'd you get that from? Which yeah. kind of co coincides with that of the price. But I kind of agree with it. I, I mean, it sh the statistics should be higher. Yeah. But I think a lot more people uh, like need that affirmation that my clothes were really expensive. Yeah. I know a lot of people do that. Yeah, for sure. All right. The next one. 91% of high snobiety readers can identify the designers and creators behind their favorite brands. I agree. Um, I agree. Yep. Again, this just goes back to us being more connected than ever. I think that maybe ten years ago, if you asked somebody who designed this or who designed that, they probably couldn't give you an answer. Everyone's a fucking enigma yeah. at that point. Like who's who? Yeah, but I think that like just visibility in terms of the age that we live in, twenty eighteen, I think that you know, everybody knows every designer, like of course, Virgil Abloh, off white, yeah. Baton, like these designers, like we talked about in previous episodes, they almost hold celebrity status to the point where you know who they're hanging out with, you know where they live, you yep. know everything about them. You know they're the friends of their friends. Exactly. And you follow exactly. them. Exactly. Right? So that's not, that's not a hard statistic to believe. Because it all ties back to like this idea of like knowledge, right? Yeah. Like sometimes, and I've seen this before, the friend of Virgil Abloh will leak an image of this shoe or like he'll get a sample pair early and then that's how you know that that shit's going to come out, right? Yeah. Like it's all about that, that the access to knowledge. So if it takes following the designer of my favorite shoe to find out when that future shoe is going to come out, then shit, I, I'm going to have to do that, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Let's get into some, um, so, so a bit, I want to say negative uh, statistics. Sure. 89% say that they can tell when the people behind a brand are part of the culture they seek to represent or whether they're just co-opting it. For those who don't know what the word co-opting it basically means that they are gentrifying streetwear. Yeah. Essentially. Um, I agree and disagree with the statistic. I think that 
in the streetwear industry, it's definitely easy to see who is really part of the culture, who really wants to represent and who really wants to storytell uh, what streetwear is. And I think there's definitely, it's definitely easy to see who isn't and who's just out there looking to make a quick buck. I would you say know? that, yeah. I think um, with with industry or industry, like being genuine is very, like it's it's easy to notice within streetwear. Yeah, but then again, if you think about this, this is not like, this is not a hard statistic. Like you can't measure who is actually, what designer is actually for the culture and who isn't. Like that's not. Yeah, it's not like a true false question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like the GDP of the United States. Yeah, like you can't measure that, true. you know? That's true. It's, it's, it's definitely subjective, but I agree that it's easy to tell when somebody, not even related to streetwear, it's easy to tell when somebody is in thinking it, yeah, or being genuine, I think. In, genu- in, like in general, in just life. Yeah, exactly. If they're genuine or fake, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think we have a good gauge of like, like how people move within the industry. So yeah. we know if it's just like a money ploy, if we know it's just like a collaboration for the sake of collaborating, we, we know that. So yeah. I would say like 89% is, is roughly like where I would. And, I would and then again, like these statistics that we're kind of going over, like they're not hard and fast. Like yes. They're the sh- like, it's large not like the infant mortality rate. No, <laughs> like we no. can't count like, okay, how many physical people that say, yeah, there's, yeah, exactly. there's no way. Yeah. These are all like, I'm going to say more so like qualitative. Like these are just like expressions of like how people feel rather yeah. than like counting hard like facts. One or two, you Love street where you don't love street. Like yeah. it's it's not possible. They're not going up to like Virgil Abloh and saying like, all right, put this lie detector test on. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So please take heed to these statistics, but it's a general path that you can follow to understand it's like, more like where It's more like a we survey, are. if yeah, anything. I, yeah, I would say that. Okay, let's do like two more. Um, this is a good one. Two thirds of readers, high snobiety readers, believe that the products someone wears convey whether that person is culturally knowledgeable. I I kind of disagree with this one. What? Two th- two thirds of readers believe that the products someone wears convey whether that person is culturally knowledgeable. No, I I don't agree. You don't agree with that? I think that you can have you can literally know nothing about a brand and still be able to wear it. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's definitely that definitely happens. Like how many people, how many people do you see wearing a Supreme shirt, for instance? Okay, we talk about Supreme. We get it. Okay, yeah. But how many people do you see wearing like a Supreme shirt? But Maybe they don't know the cultural significance. Or how about this even? How about you see a person wearing a collaboration that Supreme did with an artist? Let's say Damien Hurst or let's say whoever, X, Y, and Z. Good point. Blank. You Good name point. it. How many people do you think, like out of 10 people that own that shirt, how many people do you think actually know who Damien Hurst or Probably one. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like just because you own something, just because you wear something, because you're a consumer of something, doesn't mean you're knowledgeable about that, whatever it is, you know? No, that's a, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I could, I could buy tables, for instance. We don't know anything about I tables. I know nothing about <laughs> tables. I don't know anything about who designed this table. I don't know what kind of wood this is. Like, I don't know, you know? That's true. But I need a table, so I'm going to buy it. That's a good point. Yeah. I think this, this statistic, two-thirds, I think is relatively low. I would say like a lot of us, we we are all fairly judgmental when it comes to seeing people with clothing on, right? Yeah. I see somebody with, and it it's like a weird bias sometimes. Like it, I know it sucks to like put people in a box when you see them like off the bat, but sometimes that's kind of what branding does to begin with, right? Yeah. It says 
you chose this because you have these aspirations to fit into this mold that this brand has created. Yeah. So if you're wearing Supreme, whether you got that as a gift or whether you bought it from the online store, waited in line, you fit in this box of potentially knowing a little bit about skateboarding. Exactly. You may know a little bit about being a hype beast or like you're, you just know things and maybe it's just an attachment that a lot of people place on other people that wear brands. Yeah. But I think it's, it's kind of like a commonality amongst a lot of people because we are fairly judgmental creatures in yeah, a sense, you know, if you think about it, what is being culturally knowledgeable? That's the like part that what, fucks me like over. What is the, what is the threshold for being culturally knowledgeable? Because again, this is like one of those subjective statistics. Like, what is the definition of culturally knowledgeable and where do certain people fit on that spectrum? Okay, maybe they should have changed it. So culturally knowledgeable is, it's kind of a word you throw in the air. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like if they were to say like knowledgeable within the world of like street fashion or like something along the lines where it's just like fashion or like, I don't, I don't know, but they could have reworded it differently because when you say culturally knowledgeable, it, are you referring to that of like, streetwear culture or like fashion culture, you know what I mean? Because obviously if you see someone wearing clothing, you're gonna assume like they purchased that with the intent of knowing the brand. Yeah. Because that's what a lot of people do. I mean, especially with the more expensive ones, right? When exactly. they talk about luxurious items, it's like you have the knowledge, you bought this because you know what that item means and you wear it because all this in, exactly. is all encompassing. So in that, in that sense, are you culturally knowledgeable? Because like you said before, well, that's like, what I'm saying is yeah. take the word culturally out, put in something else that's relatable to that of like fashion. But even knowledgeable then is like that's still up in the air until we define that fully. Because yeah. like, like you said, what defines like, for instance, like going back to skate brands, someone who wears a skate brand, what does being knowledgeable about skateboarding actually mean? Like, yeah, how do you like, define that? How do you define knowledgeable? Like, does knowledgeable in terms of skateboarding mean that you actually skate or actually like try skating whether okay. or not you're good at it? I know or does mean, it mean though. like you follow it? Like does it mean like you know of it slightly? Like what is Maybe that? Maybe just the act of just knowing. Sure. <laughs> I don't know how that it, it ties back to being cultural knowledgeable. It is a very like random word, but I just I guess it's just like being aware. Yeah. Maybe I, I just, they should have just I just think these it. a lot of these terms are like very ambiguous in terms of Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. What, like, what is the definition of this or what is the definition of that? You know, I agree. Yeah. I agree. All right, let's move on to the next one. Sure. Let's talk about something that, I mean, we've talked about in multiple episodes. Let's talk about these events, right? Yeah. Complex con agenda, fucking fashion runway shows. Heist and body breaks down the top reasons and you could agree or disagree. The top reasons to attend a fashion event. We're going to talk, I mean, this is, yeah, like I just said, ComplexCon, Hypebeast, uh, Fest, whatever, Hypefest, those all count as a fashion event. Sure. Number one, one of the top reasons is the chance to obtain products that are available exclusively for attendees. Off top. Agreed. Instant, I feel like that's in, that is the number one reason yeah. why you would attend, yeah. right? You want the limited products. You want to flex those products to say like, like you said earlier, I'm here. You're not. This is what I get for it, yeah. right? Okay. Number two, experiences and moments worth sharing via social media. Yes. 100%. Very on point. Number three, this one I disagree with. Meeting people that share the same interests and passions. I think I agree in that this definitely falls behind the other two. Um, I, I mean, I like it. I like this. Like, I agree with 
these three in this order. Yeah. I feel like number three could have been something different. Like what? The other two are very broad. But they work though. Like, it does. It you does. You know that everybody's going to Complex Con because they want to get like the collaboration. Of they course, get yeah, this yeah. This no, no, no. Know? The first two are on point. Like they're very on point with like why you would attend these events. But yeah. number three of like meeting people and like, like, sh- like talk. Like I don't see that. You know what I mean? Everybody's just in line waiting to get their shit, waiting to leave, waiting to upload it, waiting, ready to sell it. Like I think like that's like one of the main reasons why people go to these things. I don't know about the meeting people part. I don't think so maybe because I, I haven't personally been to any of these events so I'm, I'm gonna take that out but like still i just don't think that's why people go to these things yeah i mean it's not like a meetup it's not i mean you definitely have a lot of like-minded people there obviously you know like everybody's there for the same fucking yes. reason but i don't think that's one of the big reasons why you go to those things i think if you just left it at the top two yeah like, like leave it at the top two like this is the only reason to, you know, showing social media, I think that would have been, that would have sufficed. That okay. would have summed up like <laughs> complex spawn. Okay. I think we're very like in agreement with a, with a, that top three yeah. list. Yeah. Okay. The last one, I think this is an important one. Sure, man. And we'll end it there because I think we've been going on for a pretty fucking long Thank time. God. <laughs> it feels like it's been longer than an hour. Okay. Because we've had questions about this one before, and this is something that definitely impacts those of you watching and listening, but 65 percent of people high somebody readers personally have been influenced by their friends to buy brands that speak to their shared values i agree i agree for sure um i mean let's let's look at this in terms of like you and me okay like i don't i don't know like there are definitely times where like you'll mention something and you'll be like oh you're right that is kind of sick but i don't think i would go out of my way to buy of it course. if it doesn't resonate with me that's fair but you know what to be fair that's those are just like the type of people those are the types of people that we are yeah you know like if something doesn't really speak to us then we won't buy it regardless of whether or not like you or i wore it, it does you know it, yeah it does definitely depend on the type of person you are like yeah. some people are super impressionable yeah in regards to like they will look up to you know, their cool friend yeah. or their older brother. And once they see them wearing something, then they immediately hop on that. You know what it is too? I think it's sort of what stage you're at in... In the journey. In the, like journey, the journey of being like interested in got streetwear. Got it, got it, got because it. Because like you and I, we've been interested in streetwear. We've enjoyed streetwear since we were younger. Yeah. So obviously we're not, it's, you know, we're not as naive, quote unquote, yeah, yeah. as to like, what brands are about or what brands that we like you know the streetwear landscape is so wide like if i were to first come into this and be like okay like i'm ready to be cool like what do i wear what's my starter kit yeah like oh shit there's so many jean options and like i would be so confused so i would look to the person uh, like that i maybe aspire to be i would just fucking dress up as virgil yeah that's why so many people dress up as kanye when he was like into the large like drapey zombie garb it's like Oh, I love Kanye, and this is my first intro to this shit, so uh, I guess I'm just going to wear that. Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to look like him. Yeah, exactly. It's like in the video game where you don't really have shit. You just kind of have the shit that they give you. you (laughs) The the stock clothing. Yeah, the stock clothing. And then as you further progress in the game, you're like, okay, for sure. You're super fitted. Exactly. I agree with that. I I think 65 is definitely a low number. Um, I think, obviously, this statistic, which is very general, which I'm starting to realize a lot of these things are, yeah. um, but 65% is definitely kind of low. I think we are all influenced by that of maybe friends slash influencers to buy brands that speak to our yeah. shared values. Um, 
it can it could be anything if you we love the same music we're gonna wear the, the merch of that band whatever you know we're gonna, and nowadays with like the la flame fits and like all you see the outfits of all your favorite <laughs> yeah. uh rappers and artists wearing you're definitely gonna start to look like them yeah and i think like this kind of hones in very specifically onto friends which again is a very general term because <laughs> how do you define friends some people may define that some di- what like, are differently friends? yeah what exactly. are friends um but i think i don't know like but it's a good yeah it's a good point yeah. like I, I i agree that we're all influenced by by friends to buy brands but you made a really good point in saying it depends on where you are in this cycle the streetwear cycle yeah right you've been around the game for a little bit you have brands that you've you've grown to love and you have an affinity for and you're continuously going to wear and follow every release or whatever maybe depending on you know what switches switches up in your life you meet a new girl you meet a new guy i don't know it depends it's 2018 then again you, then you may <laughs> jump into another uh another field of, of clothing yeah. whatever you know? again it, again like we talked about it depends on where you're at in your quote-unquote streetwear journey but yeah. I, I think as you kind of progress through that journey. You kind of figure out what you like and what you don't like. Again, what we always talk about in almost every episode. That's a good point. Um, And that really controls what and who you're being influenced. Yes. Yes. And there's a lot of influences out there. So choose wisely, please. Yes. But I think that's good. I think that's a good place to stop. We've been talking for a little bit over, I'm going to assume an hour. I know you sitting in front of the TV screen, you're probably stupid tired from watching us talk um but on that note we appreciate you guys listening and watching for those that are watching and we will see you next week remember be sure to follow like subscribe whatever you need to do in regards to following us for future videos we're gonna be here and be here for a long fucking time so hop on the wave now and on that note we will catch you next week peace